What is up, gangsters and gangsterettes? Welcome back to the show. It's your boy, Drew Heifetz, host of the Vintage and Stuff podcast, where we talk to the, the greatest minds in the vintage game, and we bring to you all the knowledge that you you seek in the vintage realm. So, yeah, welcome. We got Joe, Champagne Room with Sinatra, known for being a member of the Faded Team. But guess what? He's not anymore, and we are going to jump into that and he's going to divulge all the reasons why he left faded faded is known for having a live event but also for probably the most successful whatnot show of all time bum, bum, bum. and yeah it's interesting why he left but he's got a good story good guy we have some good chats this episode is completely free there is no patreon version we only recorded for an hour or so Wanted to give it to you guys all for free, so enjoy this free episode. But if you want to learn more from all the special guests on the show, you do have to jump on the Patreon because uh, that's where all the real juice is, all the real meat on the bone. If you're vegan, that's where all the uh, the veggies grow, big and juicy. So uh, jump on the Patreon, link down below. It's free for a week, so you can actually get a lot of content for free. And then it's only five bucks a month. It supports me. It supports my editor. It supports the mission that we are on to bring you the content you desire, to help you learn, to help you make money, to help your business run smoother. Guaranteed, the knowledge you will learn on the show will, you will make a hundred times your money. I, I will guarantee you'll make a hundred times your money. $5 a month. You'll make a hundred times your money if you jump on this Patreon and listen to all the guests and do, you know, utilize the tips and tricks that they tell you. So that's my new guarantee. You will make a hundred times your money by jumping on the Patreon and listening to the full episodes of the podcast. And um, yeah, so that's about it. Joe, great guy. Enjoy the show. See you guys on the next one. Joe, welcome back to the show, man. Second time on. Honored, man. Honored. I know, uh, you know, we've been talking back and forth about doing this for a couple of weeks. Thanks for being patient with me, for sure. Yeah, no, it's all good, man. <laughs> you know, everyone's busy. It's hard to coordinate schedules. You're, is, you're a busy restaurant tour. You're the busiest kind of busy. A restaurant yeah, tour. Yeah, like that, that real crazy, never stops, unrelenting, every day's Groundhog yeah. Day type of busy. Yeah, get it, get in at 10 a.m., go home at like midnight or one, right? Yeah, I'm excited though, like, uh, to get back to where, where I am right now because I think for a long period of time I had lost sight of it. So we'll talk a little bit about what's happened yeah. in the last couple, couple months. Cool. Crazy. So crazy. Lost the cover on this episode, uh, but the big news is that you've left 
operations with Faded. Um, I have. So we want to know that whole story. We'll get into that a little later on the show. Want to talk about what you're going to be up to now that you've done that. Want to talk about restaurant life. Want to talk about um, sort of just the state of the game a little bit and also like the state of, of just kind of a, a – a, you know, a pulse check on the scene, but then I guess live selling in general, because I know like Faded was so heavily involved in the live selling space. So why don't we kind of kick it off there? Like, how do you see the state of the game right now? It's dude, it's yeah. so, it's more cowboy. I feel like now than ever. Um, and I, I got like a huge kind of test of this from almost a year of live streaming, which Dude, to be honest, was burning me out. Ryan's still going strong, doing it, man. Shout out to Sword of Vintage. I will give him his bones for still doing the live streaming seven times a week or whatever he does. But uh, it's crazy. Yeah, I you saw prices fluctuate in a weird way. That kind of, kind of, I. That's why I kind of started losing steam with faded and and left. But we'll we'll get there where where, where we got to go, but. Uh, yeah, a pulse on the scene, man, is it's tough. You, I've seen shirts go for a quarter of what I thought they were worth and shirts that I knew nothing about go for three times what I thought they were worth. So it's, I think like the scene is like truly American right now where everyone's bored and just looking for the next best thing at such a rapid rate that it's like, it looks like this dude, you know? Um, yeah, One of the cool sure. parts that I've I've seen recently, and I think Faded had a direct uh, effect on, was the explosion in price of these Tannis Root t-shirts that have been just coming onto the scene. Um, and I, I love it. I love it, Drew, because I think the subject matter of like, a, like it was the not the first time, but a time when an artist was the focal point of why you bought a shirt, not the band or the subject matter or, you know, the famous NASCAR guy or whatever. It was the person who designed the shirt was the reason why people were interested in it. So yeah. I thought that was cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an appreciation beyond just the band. And I, you must have played a huge role in that, obviously, with the expose. But it's cool yeah. to see that people like resonate with that, and then it had a big enough impact to actually fluctuate prices. Man, I, like that's really cool to see. Yeah, I mean, have you? I'm sure in your time, you've you've had instances where F's and Frank sold some stuff, maybe Carhartt or something like that. Did you? I mean, there had to have been an instrumental moment where you might have been at the forefront of selling something. I don't know if you can recall yeah, anything off the top yeah, of Yeah, I mean, but. it's not specifically, but the in, in the snapback days when we were selling vintage alongside snapbacks and when we were doing like putting out like these late 80s, early 90s, like kind of urban street styles, right? That not mm. weren't really huge then. We saw like such a, a boom in that, right? So it started to catch on because people were checking our site for inspiration and for price guiding and all these things. So then things start to like roll that way. Um, and I've I've played with it from like a social experiment aspect too, seeing like if enough people get behind something, right? If enough of the right people get behind, you could easily manipulate the market. And we see it with like what you've done with Tennis Food is, is actually showcased the true artist. So like it's, it's, it's a proper representation of, of education to 
inadvertently bring something up in value. But you yeah. have guys like the people in Thailand who are putting out bootlegs and then fake running up bids to create the hype on it on a certain garment too, right? Exactly. So there's like there's false manipulation of that world as well that we see yeah. a lot. Uh, but it's cool well, to see big, that that actually happened. And I, I imagine that wasn't your like focus. Your focus was just like, this is cool. I want to showcase this, right? Yeah. The the wild thing was I got a text from a, a dude who I've done business with a lot of times. And he was like, hey, man, like, I just want you to know the reason why these shirts are as expensive is because of you and what Faded's doing. And I was like, I'm a pretty humble person. I don't like to like be like in the, even though it seems that way, I'm like an outspoken person. I don't, I kind of feel weird when someone says something like that to me, but uh, the more the more um, the expose grew, the more I just Tannis Root shirt online. Tannis Root, someone's posting it. Someone's looking for it. Someone wants it, and I think a lot of it too coincided with the international hype too. Like, but the problem, like you're saying, is that I have a really big problem right now. Is it's like a t-shirt hot potato almost to to like the shirt goes for value say it goes on auction for a thousand bucks yeah yeah and then it just comes down the line of lowering back into value where it finally gets to the the bottom of where it was initially or what the person bought it for. yeah so like or that person that bought it for a thousand is going to try to make a quick 200 if they can on this quick little rise right yeah they're all hoping to make something on the rise but then eventually someone gets stuck at the top and then it's yeah. back down it's scary too buying stuff when you're not uh, sourcing it for how you source it for like that small type of profit margin. You know what I mean? Like you're a person that does it on a, on a, on a volume scale where it's like, you don't get attached to these clothes. They come in, they come out. That's what they're supposed to do. Like, it's not, it's not something that like you covet or whatever. And even if you yeah. do love it and you're like, shit, I should keep this. Most of the time, if you get three times an offer, what it's worth for it, you're like, you're like, all right, it's, it has to go type of thing. You know, I think a lot of these kids are just like, they're not even buying and holding for a week or a month. They're literally buying and holding for like, they get it, post it, gone. You know what I mean? Like, and it's, yeah. I wonder how long that's going to be, that model is going to be able to kind of last for before people start to get like <laughs> hip to it. You know what yeah, I mean? It's, for, for, for sure. I mean, it's, I find... I don't, I, you know, I think the market in general is having some fluxes. We're obviously seeing like economic issues coming into play, which means like, you know, we got to no, talk no, about, oh yeah. No matter how you look at it, the economic factors are important because if people aren't being able to pay their bills, they're not going to spend any more money on things that they just want as a collector item, right? Yeah. So I think that's definitely coming into play for like the high end pieces, but. You know, we're seeing a good resurge in just regular retail. It's funny, too, because the timing of this podcast is good. I put out this thing on my Instagram a couple nights ago, just kind of asking everybody's take, like, how are you guys doing? Like, what's good? What's not? I saw that. And, uh, you know, quite a few people said online was down, regular online, which I think yeah. is I think is, is, is just an oversaturation, right? So much availability. Too many, dude. Just too, too many. many. Plus, it's the it's the knowing now that people have that if they wait, they're probably gonna get it for a cheaper price. If that means, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like before in the in the big pandemic days, we didn't. There was no uh, other availability besides sourcing online to get clothes. So you couldn't go to the store and hope that they had that specific like Iron Maiden tee that you wanted. It was just if it was online, you grabbed it. You know, um, yeah. and if you wanted to sell it. You reposted it. Now, like, 
people are like, you know what? I think 500 is too expensive for that shirt. I think I'm going to try to get it. I'm on it for 350 and I'm going to just wait it out and see if I can get it for 350 um, yeah, for sure. Whereas my new, my new models changed, Drew, is now knowing what I know about like Tannis Root and certain artists and how many quantities were printed of stuff, I'm attempting to find the shirts that were only – there was only – four printed and good good luck finding it at the, you know you're gonna have to hunt down the the dude who was in the band to try to get the shirt because if not it doesn't even exist in the world period you know yeah yeah so now you're gonna be you're gonna be scouring a lot to find a little but you'll probably with the knowledge you know be able to grab something still expensive but then somebody else won't know what you know about said said garment potentially right? yeah I feel like the the true vintage scene's already like hip to this. That's like their model almost is you know because you've sold a ton of true vintage. It's all about the details, the specific buttons that were done in this specific time era or whatever is what the what people look for in that said industry. So it's it's I don't know if t-shirts can get there, but it would be cool, you know. Well, I think there's always been a level of that beyond my knowledge, and I you're right with with this vintage in general it it is a knowledge based business the people who hold the most knowledge who can retain learn the most will do the best because you will you will find something that people pass on or people don't know about that you can make a buck on that's the game it's always find something that people don't know about that you you do that you're going to yeah. make money on right yeah. So, and and that knowledge it can't it can't be read in. A, there's no book. Like, yeah, there's lots of books you could read, but like, it's just an accumulation of so much knowledge over time. And with the t-shirts, even during the pandemic, like when this whole thing started, people were going like, "Well, that tag on this shirt is better, and this and that." And then if it was like the one with the back hit, but the back hit was this color, or you're done, yeah, and yeah. you're like, "Damn, you guys fucking like." There's I thought I had the shirt, but that. I guess I didn't, and it's it's a lot of nuance, right? Yeah, it is. But and also but I think too, like if you're gonna take a pulse side note in the scene, we have to continually ingrain secondhand into fashion itself. Fat you know, fashion has to continue to become second not because it's valuable or it's really cool, but because you actually people actually care about the, the sustainability factor and you're just shopping at you're sh- shopping at secondhand stores instead of Zara or instead of these these other ones because if it becomes like just about making money it's going to turn into fucking bitcoin and then we all saw you know you all saw <laughs> dips you know yeah. what i mean or not not bitcoin what's the one that the fucking photos of shit that people were buying oh nfts uh, uh, yeah nfts <laughs> yeah if you want to become nft i see i forgot even what the thing was called but if you want to call it if you want to turn into nfts yeah. Vintage could turn into NFTs if it becomes solely about financial profit, and that's kind of been that's been the message. Now, for someone like you who owns a retail store, it's a means to feed your family. You know what I mean. But if you're like a collector, and all of a sudden you're like, "I'm going to be a vintage seller, and I'm going to sell, I'm going to quit my job and do everything," it's like you got to be prepared to do the dirty work like you do. You have to be prepared to dive into a bin, face for pick shit out of the trash hit up granny, take 60,000 appointments. You know, you don't have a nine to five schedule. You don't work 40 hours a week. You work 
I mean, you can, can you attest to this, Drew? You work 90 hours a week. You work. Oh yeah. Right now I'm in the middle of building a store. Fuck man. It's like my next month is going to be hectic and I'm already like mentally preparing myself for it. You know, just like Vancouver or Toronto. No, we're, we're opening another one in Vancouver. We're opening another one after that in Nanaimo, which is going to be like a thrift. See, that's the thing too. Like I'm opening like semi, like, like I have my vintage store, which is like, pretty broad spectrum vintage like well-rounded i say and and nowadays used to be like my vintage store was like most vintage stores but now the well-rounded vintage stores are more rare than the hype beast vintage stores right there's more vintage stores so i'm like well now i have a marketing play i'm like you can come in my store and actually buy an outfit versus like just a t-shirt or a pair of sneakers so and and we're doing well because of that, I think. So we have like we still sell high end stuff. Like if like we have a percentage of like curated cool pieces, then we have like wearable everyday shit. But I'm opening another one in Vancouver, and I'm opening like a thrift store. And like you're saying, like the the people who've gone really big in this business have done like mid level product, right? Mid range, mid level product. They're the ones who've been able to have twenty stores and make empires there's not a lot of people making an empire off of bangers, right? Like you can do well, but it's not, it's, it's a lot harder. I I would say. It's also too, dude, I'm so inspired by this, this well-rounded. I did not know that you were, you were, you know, entering into all these different things. It's also about, it's not seeing where it is right now. It's seeing where it's going. And that's, that's the true, those are the truly successful people. And that's, I mean, when we talk about food later and drinks, that's where, I'll I'll go with that, but it's it's not about, and that's where I am with vintage. I don't care about the here and now, the price of the shirt. I don't even care if the shirt's going to be higher value. I care about the idea of where is vintage fashion going, and where can it get? What can it get to? And I still think I really do, dude. Everyone wants to say like, oh, the values are down. We're still right here, dude. There's so much more until I see on Rodeo Drive six vintage stores. It's not, you know what I mean? It's not yeah. where it where it needs to be. Or not even Rodeo Drive. In a in every shopping mall in America, if there's not a vintage store, yeah. Vintage isn't where it needs needs to be yet. That's what people there, need to understand. There will like, be. It's 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 coming. It's moving that way. And other, you know, I see that I see the trends moving that way. And that's kind of our business. I'll just run through this quickly, but our our Please. new thing is like I'm we're going to be opening. We're going to be opening retail. We see the the future in like brick and mortar retail. Online is is we're still going to continue. It's doing okay, but like we said earlier in the episode, the saturation is so high with online. Every kid, every Depop, there's there's a there's ten huge resale platforms that are all loaded with shit. So it's really hard to like play that game of like regular product online. Mm-hmm. So we're opening retail, and we want to grow like a really um we want to re- just have a really uh like good brand of retail stores that is focused on customer service focused on th- the right product the good product that people want at the time but like well rounded in the way that you can come in get an outfit um you know and we have what people want and and also well, and also t- couple that with like sort of a main line of stores and then like a th- a thrift line of stores where we can like funnel shit through so that 
If it doesn't move here, it goes here, and we get rid of it quick enough and easy. You know what's amazing too, though, is you're almost taking the, the vintage stylist angle because a lot of people, like I feel like people, like even like my, I always use my father or like my mother would understand vintage more if they knew where to place vintage in their outfit or their daily life. So the idea of it's educate, you guys are almost offering education in a weird way where like you're showing you're building an outfit. You're showing them how they can utilize this jacket, maybe with stuff that they're wearing that isn't vintage either, to up their game, get their fashion game in, in specific yeah, ways. So it's like totally, and, and and fashion follows vintage. So if you if you watch it, you can play that game and just kind of like know what's coming up next for the big fashion houses, and then have those trends available secondhand, which is which is solving the problem, right? And I got to give shout out to Amy on this episode. We partnered with Hell a yeah. friend of mine, Amy, who. I'll touch on this quickly. She owned a Is company she called Australian? Velvet. She's Australian, she Australian, yeah. Cool. She's Australian. The accent uh, helps. The cool accent, man. Velvet Underground, yeah. And she, we brought her in to kind of complement our weaknesses, right? And mm-hmm. and she came to us, actually, because she was thinking the same thing. Like, we complement her weaknesses. So I think that's an important factor to understand is, like, uh you know, not everyone can be good at everything. Amy's really good at customer service. She's really good at building teams of people. She's really good at like merchandising product. And she's going to be like sort of running like head of retail. We're going to be on supply and marketing. And we kind of have set up some roles for the company so far, me, Jesse and her. And, you know, I think, you know, people out there listening to this, it's like, bring people on that complement your weaknesses so that you can get to the goals you want. Don't think you can get good at everything and you can try and you might get okay at everything, but it's also important to be able to identify that and like bring the right people on, on your team. You know, dude, there was so, there's so many segues right now into where I'm at. Like I felt that way about Like we can even talk about faded now because that's a perfect segue. The idea of, you know, we, I opened a restaurant last year and that was a lot of my focus and faded, not that faded was my focus, but I kind of felt out of love with it because I was being, I was being utilized less and less for like the design and the idea aspect of how to strengthen the, the brand and, the, and more just a host that auctions stuff off, which don't get me wrong. We built a fun community. I had a great time with it, but it was super burning me out, dude. And it was like, when I stopped enjoying it, uh, that's when I was like, okay, I think, I think it's time for me to, me to leave. One of the hardest things ever. I started, me and these, these three other guys started this company. Like I was, I had the first phone call with Bowie Kochmira, who now isn't worth in the company, but Sam's not in the company either, but we had that phone call and, um, that was like the first inception. We got something, someone going no, crazy. Someone awesome. came in the door, but yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, we're good. Uh, but I had that phone call with him. So, you know, I sat long and hard and I talked to Chloe and I'm like, uh, Chloe, I'm not happy anymore with this. Like, and she saw it. Like, she saw just my almost like the air being let out of me on a daily basis. Like, the restaurant so who, was running. Sorry, me. sorry to segue, but who were the, the three people you partnered with in the beginning? Bowie. So the 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 four people were it was Sam Bowie Kochner, yeah. Ryan Disorder Vintage, and Longston, yeah. um, he, who's he lives in in Providence. He's like the okay. boots on the ground guy. But um, and then it turned into the last like probably like six months, seven months. It was just the three of us. But it was just uh, you know I have I have 
nothing negative to say about those guys. You know, they worked hard for their their vision or whatever. It just my vision wasn't that anymore. I saw more of faded as a brand that that kind of harnessed the design, the designers, the artistic, uh, and the educational aspects of it, um, yeah. as opposed to just this fast rate hype machine uh, that I kind of saw it turning into, which is cool. I mean, people. We had a we doubled attendance faded two um, nice. from faded one. So we were obviously doing something correctly. It just wasn't I wasn't passionate about it, dude. And I have this real I was a musician for a while. I played with in bands and as soon as I saw the other t- people weren't like as excited about the idea as me, that's when you know, I had to leave. So I've I've left things that behind I feel like everyone should leave things behind that they're just not progressing in. If I'm not challenged or feeling, you know, like this idea is progressive, why the fuck? Why are we here? You know? Yeah. That, so that explain that a little bit deeper. Like what? Yeah. What were the ideas that you that you were bringing to the table that weren't in line with the other team? Well, I wanted to put more emphasis on the 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 gallery aspect of it too and stuff, and I also just I. I wanted to expand the amount of events too, which I think they still have some ideas of doing it, but it just, it, we didn't, we weren't approaching it in a way that I, I liked, you know, it was just, it was rapid fire. It was more emphasis on whatnot and and the live selling and all that stuff, which I think was like a means to generate for the business and stuff, but it just didn't, you know, I just, I was, it was, we were also creating a scene in that world that I really didn't like. It was some of the, if you watch that show, some of the comments said are pretty, are not really too, too favorable sometimes. So it's, you know, I just, it became a rat race to, to be the best auction house. And I didn't go, I didn't even, not that I didn't enjoy it while it was there, but we weren't an, I didn't, we weren't accepted as an auction house. Yeah. Turned into that. You know what I mean? So the company went, in an angle, in a direction that I just didn't, didn't really want to be a part of. I want, what I wanted to do was more like uh, art direction across the U S like show the importance of why fashion and art are like one in the same. It doesn't always have to just strictly be vintage, but it's the influence of um, old designs and, and how it translates to today. Like for instance, one that always comes to mind is the biggest brand on earth is Supreme. And that's a yeah, Barbara probably. Kruger, uh, some some vintage Barbara Kruger designs. So I bet most people, half the people who watch this don't even know who Barbara Kruger is. And that was my message on, on Faded is putting an, a light, shedding a light on these artists. Like, you know, you everyone knows the heart-shaped box tee, but you know who designed the heart-shaped box tee? No. Not until you did our <laughs> event. Yeah, built exactly. Tannis Root. Tannis Root did not until you knew our did not until I had you the had had you on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean. So, and I think that it's an angle too, Drew. Where if you do are educated on that, it can help you sell your products better too, and lead you to more sales in the future. So it's like I don't know education at this point, and and teaching people of the value of vintage um, is kind of yeah, where my where I, I'm I going. think I think that's. <laughs> cool i mean i i don't think it's for everyone and i think you know you guys obviously had your creative differences there 
Uh, but it's important to acknowledge your, those and stay true to what you believe. And if that's what you wanted to do, then there's lots of avenues where like that can be a future for you in a different, different way. potentially. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, I guess my, my next question would be about like the future of faded, because I wonder, like you were a big part of it. You were quite a face of it. Um, mm-hmm. Disorder is also like quite front facing on it, of course. With yeah. Ryan. Faded, yeah. But I, but I even think like you, you know, not to put throw any shade or anything, but like from my just outside looking perception, you might've been even more of a face of it. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if that's just the way it came across to me. So how do you like, what's the future for them? Do you even know? Like, are, do, <laughs> were they like really bummed when you left or how did that kind of play out? It was, we didn't, there wasn't much conversation, but I think it's in the personalities of them. They're not very like, they're very, I would say like chill, don't really speak their mind type of people like me. Everyone knows how I feel at all times, basically. Like I'm a very outspoken person. They're not as outspoken as I am. So um, not much, dude. I mean, Ryan, you know, Ryan and I had some rapport back and forth. Uh with like, you know, he was sorry about it. And we still try to keep in touch where we can too. Cause I do, you know, a lot of my early times in this business or this industry, whatever was due to him, man. He was, he was a catalyst for getting me into it. So I am thankful for that. But just like anything, dude, you just grow, you slowly grow apart from people. You know, your vision is different than others. You've had this happen to you, man. I'm sure there's people that you've harnessed and, and grew with and then they either went off and did their own thing or you had to let them go because they're they were basically interrupting like your vision on on it so um i think they were like slowly knew that i was done with it too or you know our communication slowly but surely dipped over the last like three months so i think it was they were I think they had an idea it was coming. I just don't know if they knew it was coming then. And uh, I'm and how I'm did it all play out? Because you know this is obviously a business, and you guys had like a business yeah. structure set up. You had to be like taking yeah. money. You got sponsorship deals with whatnot. There's whatnot revenue coming in. Like, did you just fully? Did you just take a walk? Did you just like you're like I'm out. I'm walking. That's it. Uh, I fig- I physically took a walk too to reflect on it, and I I um I came back and I and I. Uh, wrote a letter of resignation. It was simple. Just said, you know, I, Joe LaMonica, I forget what said, you know, just uh, yeah. the basics, you know, I'm on this date, I'm resigning from, from the company. I emailed it to him. And uh, what about like the that value it. that you guys created? Cause you just, you walked away from, from, from an asset, right? You walked away yeah. from an asset that had, a, that has a value now because you spent two years building. Yeah. So, so essentially you gave up your shares in, in, in the, I'm in the done. Industry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. at the end of the day too, the one thing that, uh, I'm not corruptible by money or any of that, those type of things. Like I, if I want something true, I, I will, I've said it before. I'll sleep on the street if I have to, to prove that, you know, like I, I don't, I won't sell out or do anything that's not for me for financial gain ever. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of us out there for sure, but you know, you're one, I, you're one, I, you wouldn't still be, (laughs) yeah, but I don't think you'd still be digging through. I mean, dude, you're not, it's, you're still, 
you no, were doing I definitely, live, en- I definitely live enjoy it. Yeah, you were doing live auctions on Instagram, and now you have a family to feed too. So it's a different, it's a different avenue for you too. You have to take these type of things. But I feel like nothing that I've ever seen from you online or whatever is disingenuous. And when I meet you in person, I know you. I met your father. You you remind me a lot of you and you and Jesse remind me a lot of him. Still well, full of life. Thank you for that. It's it's a nice sentiment, and I appreciate that. For sure. <laughs> but, um, but, but I mean, but, I would have a hard time walking away from something. I'll tell you that that I put two years into building. It sucked. You know, and I, it wasn't and easy. I, yeah, I bet it wasn't easy because you kind of. It's a bit of a, you know, it's just like any relationship. You get a separation yeah. is hard. You have to go through like a, a somewhat of a grieving. You have to decide what's right for you. Uh, and then it changes your day to day. So then you free up all this mind space and it's just like a, quite a transition. So, um, yeah. Any thoughts on that whole process for you? Yeah. I mean, the good part is, is my mind is so much freer now to do things that I'm super passionate about, which is now this restaurant, these restaurant concepts. And the cool part about where I'm at now, which we can talk about too, is, uh, is I don't just think of I'm thinking of cool flavor combinations with food and drink well in drinks, but I'm also thinking about trying to change the dynamic of why people drink in the first place, which is some esoteric crazy thing to say, but it's I've seen through market research over the last ten years um, America's um, the problems that America has with alcohol and their relationship with it, like it's not. Binge drinking is at an all-time high in the world, and that, to me, is an issue because it it kills my business because you either decide to never drink again, you know what I mean, <laughs> like drink too yeah. much and get my business potentially in trouble because you drank dr- whatever, uh, drove drunk or whatever, or you just never drink again, and then there goes a, a bar customer. So I, my, my idea now with restaurants is creating a healthy relationship with alcohol and kind of understanding that, you know, do you, we can open this dialogue to ask, do you still drink at all or no? Uh, I don't know. I go through stages. Like I'm almost like a year without drinking. Okay. <clears throat> but I have, um, you know, for the last like five years I've been on and off probably. Yeah. Do you think that your relationship with it is unhealthy? Is that why you stopped doing it? And you can be totally can't. Yeah. I my no personal relationship. Him. My personal, which is cool, is and I'm a, like quite an addictive personality, but I also have like a strong will, so I can like I go in hard, I love but that. I can like stop it if I need to. But then that's a problem because I just go too hard when I'm yeah. when I'm on. Yeah. And for me, it wasn't it wasn't serving me at any point anymore. But but my family, you know, through like we grew up in wine country, so I'm like I have quite. I worked in a winery for a while, so I have a bit of a relationship with like wine we got to talk about this next. the making oh. of it, you know. So I can appreciate it because it's quite it's it's an art. It has a lot of mm-hmm. history. There's a lot to it, and um, it can be appreciated for so much more than just getting drunk, of course. You know? Exactly, and that's kind of what you're speaking of. Yeah, for me, cocktail making too is now explaining to people how lemon butter and capers can go with a pisco sour which capers in a drink is the most bizarre thing but i think i figured out how to make it work last week so that you know what i mean that's <laughs> where you know what I, you know what i'm saying like we we wash we do like this nuanced thing 
that people have been doing for a long time, but now it's really a bar in Barcelona just got the best bar in the world for doing this basically is trying to turn to infuse things like, for instance, right now it's for us, it's mezcal, Nutella butter, mushroom, and espresso beans. And I basically take those ingredients and we do what's called a fat wash with it. And I inject those into the mezcal. So when you drink it, similar to wine, you know, like tannins and yeah. things that like, why, you know, you know, you worked in a winery, it'll yeah. stick on your tongue and create a full mouthfeel for you, for you. So that's where drinking can be exciting and you savor it rather than just chugging it down your, your gullet as, as yeah. fast as humanly you're possible. The, you're so, a mad, you're the, the cocktail sommelier, the mad scientist uh, of I, the bar. Yeah. You know what I hate though? And this is a PSA. I'm a fucking drink maker, not a mix. Mixologist, I think of a twisty mustache, a fucking leather apron, and acting like you're too good for everybody, um, which is something I saw. The anxieties of people walking into bars, too, that are like a little more, um, their concepts a little, little more exciting, is that the bartender acts like they know more than them, and it's kind of intimidating to them. I'm trying to break down that barrier, too, of uh, of ask questions at my bar. I'm going to show you guys something and I'll, I'll show you like this specific varietal of wine and I'll explain to you why it pairs well with this food, how it's produced, why it's made. The educational aspects of, of it, I think will open people's minds and have them trying things like lemon butter, caper, pisco, you know what I mean? Which yeah. to most people, a, even, you know, is that's weird. awesome. So is your, give us like the, the, you probably talked about it in the last episode too, but sort of the rundown of your restaurant. Like it's a, it's a restaurant bar, but you're serving full menu. Dinners, yeah. Yeah. Right? So we would call ourselves an Italian American restaurant. Um, it moves in like a pyramid structure. So like my mother and father started this restaurant and then uh, three brothers, I have four brothers. One's kind of still in college doing his own thing. And then the three other brothers are the operational aspects of it. And one of my brothers does like the books, the back office stuff. Um, another one of my brothers is the food, you know, focused. And I'm more of the, the cocktail director, like anything, booze, wine, mocktails, all that shit is all handled by me. So it's a cool structure. Nothing really, no one really butts heads and overlaps in each one of the categories. So it, it works well. But I, yeah, how's, uh, how's the restaurant doing? You guys busy? Dude, a crazy first year, man. We're like, we exceeded expectations, a busy, especially for the area. So there's, um, we started it in, it's Winthrop, Massachusetts, which is like a peninsula outside of Boston. So we've kind of became somewhat of a, like a pseudo destination for people traveling from East Boston. And I mean, we have a good local local clientele but people actually do travel for the restaurant and uh, i'm trying desperately to make that a continual thing like you know you're familiar with new england we had yes. this couple drive down an hour and a half from uh new hampshire two weekends in a row wow. to sit at the bar which is like you know to me i just love that like i love that you guys there's so many restaurants probably around where you are yeah. Like, we got to go back to see that that guy at that restaurant. Yeah. He sells T-shirts or something. What a character, man. I know. Let's go get drinks He's from out. that guy. <laughs> yeah. I am, you know. But I throw that in, dude, dude. And that's important to me, too, in its own way, is that 
the drinks are supposed to inhibit that certain sort of nostalgia from you too. Like you want to sip something and feel like, you know, the best way to describe it is, you know, the movie Ratatouille, you know, the movie yeah. Ratatouille. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Um, when he eats the, the Ratatouille. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, but there's a huge scene in that. And like, a from a culinary perspective of when the food critic who's super fucking pretentious and thinks he's better than everybody eats that simple Ratatouille and it catapults him back to a point in his life when his mother made it for him when he was like eight years old. And that's for me, the objective of every single drink is to catapult you back or to create a new experience for you that you, you didn't even know existed. Yeah. And then can, then can be a nostalgic thing for the future as well. That catapults you that you want to have. No, I know exactly what you mean because my family uh, I wouldn't say we were foodies, but like we enjoyed our food. We would go to like certain restaurants all the time. We had this restaurant in Buffalo, New York, which is also Italian called Chef's, which is like super famous for this uh, spaghetti parmesan dish. Oh, it's like we're I'm, like it's like I'm like classic spaghetti marinara with a meatball, but like covered in mozzarella and parm melted all gooey. It's like this amazing thing. It's so simple, but you're like, nobody makes it like you do. It's so good, you know? So we, we had that. Jesse still goes there all the time because he's so I nostalgic that, for it. He's so nostalgic for it. And now his kids will too because he takes his kids. So it's like multi-generational nostalgia for this place. We had a Chinese restaurant like that in Toronto that we would go to all the time. And they closed like 10 years ago. We had to like grieve. We're still grieving, dude. Heartbreaking, It was dude. so oh, nostalgic man. for us. Um, there's lots of places like that. And also for like my mother's cooking. And, um, so yeah, no, I totally get it, dude. And it, it, it is, it is, uh, there's something about like a smell can take you there, you know, like lots yeah. of things can take you there. And it's important. The big catalyst for leaving faded and also for getting as obsessed as I am was I did go to Italy a month and a, a month and a half ago. And that was 18 days in Italy changed my opinion on, um, just how I view the world even too. Uh, seeing a crowded, seeing Naples where it's this crowded, crazy drivers, everything's wild, but everyone is, and it's a poor city, but everyone is so high on life and the food is so simply spectacular. Like it's not anything beautiful and crazy and majestic, but the everything is, they value food and drink so much more uh, and they also value each other's time so much more than Americans do. So, you know, the next time you go to Starbucks, maybe you should try to to uh, try that small little artisanal coffee spot next to your house where people actually give a shit about what they're putting into your your cup too. Like, yeah, no, I'm drinking you know. Timmy's over here. It's so it's so true. Uh, I think about this because I try to try to keep. <clears throat> keep pretty healthy when i eat right and if yeah. you're grabbing food on the go typically in canada or america like you're grabbing junk for the most part mm-hmm. right unless you're hitting like you said like your local bakery spot your local coffee shop where they're making their own food we just have such processed culture processed food culture yeah. here where like you're describing italy where it's like the ingredients are pure man i i imagine I and it's like everything is so um they take so much care in it, right? We need it's important, dude. It'll change. Yeah. It changes, you know, and that's that's where to, to parallel into vintage. That's where you'll see vintage get the more processed you guys want to be, and the more like 
fast and transient you want to be, the more it'll it'll downturn, dude. You know that's why they need you, Drew. They need these all encompassing <laughs> vintage. I'm serious. You know you got to ingrain in the culture in the head that this is not some this is not a fad, dude. This isn't something that like is gonna should come and go. This is something that literally you know, you should be passing down to your kids one day because sustainability, think of to sustainability as the quality of clothing. It's just like food, the quality of clothing that was made pre 95 still holds up because a lot of time it was made in it. It was made with better materials, handmade, whatever, better machines, any, any way it was made. Um, yeah. Look at that like food. You know, food made by hand or in small batches is always going to have a higher quality. It's going to be better for you um, and it's going to hold up. Your, your body is going to hold up longer. You know what I mean? For yeah. I think, the, the, you know, chemically. The and you'll that feel it. Like as you get older, I notice it more. If you eat like, you know, ingredients that are raw, true, organic, like good ingredient food versus like going and grabbing something while you're out like fast food or even like. Even most restaurants, even if they're not fast food, have a lot of crap ingredients. Mm. You, your mental health is affected. Your mental health is affected big time. You wonder why you're depressed and bummed out. It's probably because you eat crap and you don't really – you can't put it all together. And you're like paying all this money to a shrink. Why don't you just try cleaning up your diet first and see if that Literally. makes a difference. Yeah. A couple of you – know, some yoga once in, in the morning you know, a couple times a week will probably help you too. That's the thing too. People – there's, there's extremists too. People don't put some salt and pepper on your food. The sodium can be a little bit higher. And if the food tastes that much better, emotionally, it'll do something to you too. Like sometimes your design, your body's designed to want to savor and enjoy stuff as opposed to eating dry grilled chicken and fucking broccoli every single day of your life. Like yeah, you might be healthy. You know, that's like an old not. that's like an old misnomer too of health like we need sodium your body needs sodium to retain water so this whole like high sodium it, it's maybe bad in fast food but like you putting you dousing your food in salt like good salt is not going to harm you it's actually good for you you know people it's all we have this twisted we have to educate yeah. yeah but it's education it's it's explaining to people like you know same with like the cool, I was having a conversation with a wine rep the other day and the cool part about even wine and vintage is like this too, is that people now are looking for more high quality wines. Like that whole idea of like $9 and below, you know, the, the $9 wines, you, oh, you can get yeah. a good cheap bottle of wine is kind of start slowly phasing out. People, younger kids are starting at like 15 and above for wine because they're more focused on, I think the process of how it was made and the quality of it and it's better to sometimes it's good to to buy that one garment that you know you're going to wear the hell out of but is like made very well than 75 gar you know garments that oh. were made like shit that you'll just cycle through I'm a big proponent of that and that's one reason it's good carhartt's kind of popular cuz those pants will last you a long time but i Ever. buy Fils i buy filson brand pants when i go buy new pants they're, They're really good. high quality and they last me like, you know, if I wear them almost every day for a whole year, I'm pretty good. Like maybe I'll get a full year of wear out of them. That's a lot, you know, but, uh, or you go buy a $40 pair of pants from some cheap company and you get like maybe 20 wears out of them and they're, they're dead. The ass is blown out, dude, or fucking, you know, you, you rip the seam or whatever. It's like, yeah, 
why not just spend the extra money up front for longer, longer term results? That's where so I'm at right now. It doesn't have to be like made from recycled material. Just buy really high quality stuff that will actually do more for, for sustainability than, than some yeah. recycled garment, you know? Yeah. I, th- I think about it too large scale. Like a lot of times people will be like, well, you know, and I think this way and I have thought this way still a little bit do, but uh, you know, Gucci produced this stuff and now they're throwing it all in landfills because no one bought that season or whatever. But if you look at the amount that they produced, it's still in the quality of the products. It's still this compared to what H&M produces, which is like how many more landfills are filled with piles and piles of fast fashion clothing as opposed to a couple of Gucci sweaters that, that, that they had to destroy because – you know, keep, they keep didn't the want market high. They, they wanted to keep the market high or whatever. So those are still higher quality products that I think people should be buying too. Plus I, I bought a stone Island jacket in Italy and I'm so obsessed with that company now. It's really, did you go to the, the cool. stone Island store there? Yeah. I went to the Florence one. We did a lot nice. of shopping in Milan too. It was kind of the only thing I really enjoyed about Milan, unfortunately, but. Uh, so tell yeah, me about we, that. Tell me about, <laughs> your take on fashion there you spent 18 days there cruising around you're probably going to see the sites you're going out to eat at great places what did you notice about the difference in fashion in italy they are functional but they also are super uh everybody is fashionable the homeless guys you know what i mean like like everybody puts a higher quality um on how they look you'd see minimal sweatpants and and shorts and this whole like new craze that's hit hit recently where it's like too leisurely. Like I understand comfortability, but like with some sort of flair, you know, like you said, you got your nice Stilson pants drew with your hoodie, secondhand hoodie, cool hat, whatever. But like this whole, like, you know, essential wear fear of God wearing motherfuckers. Like there was none of that over there. A lot of suit, a lot of, um, like European fashion. So it was a lot of suit jackets, ton of them, you know, yeah. but in a tasteful way that weren't like, like some like douchey, they were like, cool. You know what I mean? Um, what else did I see? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was more food. Food was, was my focus out there, like over fashion, but uh, yeah. Milan shopping, Milan shopping district makes Rodeo drive look like a fucking a joke, dude. If, you know, if you ever get a chance to go there, it's we were there during Fashion Week too, which was even crazier. Chloe so walked into. Bo- oh, go ahead. Yeah, go. no, no. I was gonna say I, I knew something was up when Chloe walked. We went and walked into the Celine store, and they had like photographers snapping photos and, and shit. It was it She's was like, out ah, there. Ah, ah. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it was awesome. So, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was just gonna say uh, back to food for a sec. So, uh give us like tell us like some of your memorable meals then when you were there yeah the best meal i had when we went back to this place twice was in naples it was outside by like the not a shopping district but you know there was like this these lines and lines of people that had like the classic hand-done knickknacks like you know ceramics and all that stuff or whatever so there was these four outside restaurants next to each other and um what you would almost look like street food but it was a sit-down restaurant just outside on my patios so we googled it and it had like a really high yelp rating and i usually don't give a shit about yelp but i'm like you know what this looks pretty cool uh so we'll give it a shot 
The meal cost me fifty dollars for two glasses, two glasses of wine, amaros, four courses, bottles of water, and it was one of the most spectacular meals I've ever had in my entire life. I actually like told the chef like. <laughs> I was like, can I can I meet the owner? Like, and the dude was like, oh, he's busy or whatever. But like, I met the dude who made the the pizza. Like, a, a Neapolitan pizza drew this big for five fucking euro, and wow. it was insane. The quality of it was spectacular, and I know it would have been twenty two dollars at some fucking hipster artisanal spot that probably wasn't even as good, you know, in America. What so, is happening over here, dude? Like, I cannot go to the to like a regular restaurant. It's scary, dude. It's, for under a hundred bucks with my family, and you're getting like four course meals in Italy for fifty bucks. What the fuck? Well, I think the problem is is there's they have more of a means to grow it. It's more locally sourced for them, so they they do pose that advantage and now with all i don't know how the economy works but it has to be something with all the tariffs and the fucking export fees where a two dollar literally i've seen a two dollar bottle of wine there is a 13 to 15 dollar bottle of wine here you're like really like this you know what i mean so it's 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 crazy and overall like how did you find it for for like the cost of traveling over there the only thing that's expensive getting there and and no, we did B&B so those weren't even that expensive is staying there food and drink is the cheapest part of the whole experience like i had a a glass of you know what grappa is you ever heard of gra- yeah, grappa yeah. okay i had a, a what would be here a 40 dollar glass of grappa in america cost me 14 euro there so for 16 bucks, 16 bucks. So I, the cool part is I got to experience things I think that would cost me like a $350 meal here only cost me like $100 there. So I kind of, I got a chance to experience more things and more great food. And I actually ate at a, I did a, the only expensive meal we did was a tasting menu at the Gucci Osteria with, uh, this really world-renowned chef, his name is uh, Massimo Batura. So he's considered probably one of the most creative and innovative chefs of the last, like, 25 years. He's like a rock star in Italy. So we did, like, a tasting menu with that. Is he, like, TV personality? I feel like I've heard that. Super TV. He's so – he's, like, the cutest Irish man. Tortellino, like, he's, like, big glasses. He's really – you know Yeah, I know this guy. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. How's that meal? It was wild, bro. We had the actual wine producer come in for a wine that I carry at the restaurant too. Old guy in his 80s gave a whole wine presentation. We saw the museum. We were in like this cocktail hour. Like I'm the funny part about it is, dude, I'm far from having any any real money and I'm sitting next to like these deputy like these these like crazy like people who I know are like way more like uh like I'm the outsider is what I'm get, getting at in yeah. this group of, of people. But it kind of felt cool where I could be like, yeah, like I can I can drink with you people too, man. If I pay $350 for a fucking tasting menu. 
Um, but it was but really that's, cool. That's the that's what as a restaurateur you got to do. You got to experience what else is out there. You got to bring back uh, inspiration, right, for your your own yeah. place and what you're doing. We brought back uh, the coolest drink that I've I've done as of late is uh, is a really high technical one. So we do. When I was in Florence, I saw David, a statue of David, uh, Michelangelo. It was the most incredible thing I'd ever seen. Uh, Drew it was incredibly inspiring, but the tour guide said the word. There was a book written about him in a movie called okay. "The Agony and the Ecstasy," and right away I go to Chloe. I'm like, Chloe, I need a name and drink that. Like, and and I didn't have any idea of what was going to go in it or whatever. So I started in reverse. Like I named the drink before I knew what the the contents of the drink were. So we went backwards, but we do this thing called. Do you know what Centauri whiskey is? It's a Japanese it's Japanese, whiskey. yeah. Okay, yeah. If you ever watched uh, um, Lost in Translation, he's there doing Suntory ads, like Je- like uh, Bill Murray's in okay. in Tokyo doing ads for them or whatever. So we take Suntory whiskey, we infuse it with brown butter, so we create the savory element of it. We take um, the peels of oranges and create a syrup out of it, so it's almost like a simple syrup, orange simple syrup, fresh lemon juice. We crack an egg in it because it's a sour. And then I use this product called Demon Seed. So you familiar with Szechuan cooking? Yeah. Like Chinese Szechuan cooking? Yep. You've probably eaten it in China. I'm sure you've been there before. But uh, it has these um, it has these like tingly elements, this whiskey. It's scorpion yeah. pepper ginger. It has this tingly element. So it's the idea of creating like this really savory thing and then making you kind of pay for it because you're going to get a little heat on the end. So it's like a full focus of your palate. Uh, and we uh, float, we float wine on it too, like Merlot. So the wow. buoyancy of the buoyancy of the sour, I mean the viscosity of the sour is more than that of the Merlot. So it creates a, a line of actually the Merlot floats on top of it. So it looks really cool too. When you make a sour, uh, do you like whisk the egg with the whiskey? Yeah, like so what we do is you something? crack an egg, you do what's called a dry shake, but now the new, I'm giving all the bartenders who already probably know this shit anyway. You know those frothers, those handheld frothers? Yeah. You can even do that too, froth it up. And what that does is re- it, it puts air into the um, into the drink and creates like a, a frothy, it froths the egg up and then you shake yeah. it over ice and that's how you, you serve it too. And it's, uh, you know, I channel a lot of... Uh, I have love for this dude right now. His name is Grant Atkins. He's probably has one of the most famous restaurants in America called Alinea. So he studied in the French Laundry under a guy named. You ever heard of the French Laundry in San Francisco? Uh, Thomas Keller. So uh, he is like he does this molecular gastronomy, and we're not. I'm nowhere near that, but I have like such like a want to learn more of it. So it's like he does things like. He creates something that looks like a tomato, but it tastes like a strawberry. Or he 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 makes a food float like a sour apple balloon. So he literally walks a balloon over to the table that's completely edible. Things like that are like to me like I think they like expand my mind and make me want to think of food not just as like Applebee's that bring a steak to your table. How can I make food more meaningful for for my guests? You know. And it can be through flavors. It doesn't have to be through like floating stuff or, or 
now the cheap pilot tricks is like smoking every fucking alcohol on earth or whatever, <laughs> yes. because that's like a that, cool for sure. Oh, I, th- those guns, man, that's through the bubble smoke. I, they're like, that's another trend that you'll see go, you know, but, um, the coolest well, the, part it of always, the, mo- it always moves in waves, right? Whatever's the hot yeah. thing of the moment. Yeah. But, and the flavors have to go, you have to have a show with the flavors. It can't just be show or it can't just be flavor. It's got to be like some sort of, it needs something middle, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I look at it like this. If I'm charging you $15 for a drink, Drew, I need to earn the $15. It's not something that like, you know, I can't just justify charging you $15 for anything anymore. That's that Italian learning how cheap things were in Italy for high quality. If I'm going to charge that type of money, there needs to be that type of quality in the drink or it's not worth it. Um, one, two comment too. I loved back about this grant. I'm reading this dude Grant's book and he talks about meeting this dude, Thomas Keller for the first time. And he's a, he, at this point, Thomas Keller had the number nine restaurant in the United States. He had no idea what the guy looked like, but he called him and asked him, you know, kind of pressed him for a job for, and the dude's like, yeah, come on and try out or whatever. So he gets to the rest, Grant gets to the restaurant and he's like, where's Thomas? So I, I, you know, I'm here to meet Thomas Keller. And one of the chefs like motions over to him and the dude is mopping the floor. And to me that put like chills up my spine where you are the number nine chef in the United States, but you're still mopping your own floor and putting in the work to do that. That's why, that's why in a nutshell, I left faded. I wasn't mopping the floors anymore. Like I wasn't getting down and dirty and, and really trying to progress the industry anymore. I was just more just perpetuating this flow of things that I didn't really believe in. So that's where, you know, same with my restaurant is I show up to the restaurant at 10 o'clock every day and I leave at 11. Drew, I, I mop my own floors, man. You know, yeah. that's, you know, I can't expect yeah. to, to not – I can't expect to, even as an owner, can't expect to be on this type of higher pedestal if I didn't if I didn't work to to get there, type of thing. So, yeah, that's, them off uh, the floor that's something people. I love. Uh, I love about the restaurant industry. It's my it's my upbringing. It's what I did until I did my own business, and I think there's so much value in it. There's so much hustle that you learn. There's uh, the people skills you learn there. The, the the work dynamic the 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 systems of like prep and then service you know like that whole like the the, the build up and then the hustle like there's a lot you learn from that and I, I I ask people this I don't know if I talked about this in the last one but if someone in an interview says like they come from a restaurant background I'm like yo you know how to work hard like you know what that's it what it's like when we're when we get thrown the fire you know how to handle that right very valuable yeah no one really knows it unless they have. And the whole idea of like you screwing the server or whatever, I mean, you can do that if you want, but like I'm talking about like shitty tippers and stuff, but to understand if they are good at their job, how much effort and, and it goes into that is you need to understand that it's not just, you know, it's dealing with the same annoying, like customers are tough. People are tough. You know, you work in, You've worked in retail forever. It's not an easy business either. Like you are dealing with different personalities every single day, trying to get them to understand your concept. Um, and the fact that you, you know, you could have left the extra five bucks just to make the dude's day. And, you know, is yeah. it, is it, 
is it really important type of thing. But I love that you hire. You hi- you find yourself hiring a lot of restaurant people. You said, yeah. Well, That's it's definitely cool. an asset if if they if they have that history. Yeah. Um, the tipping thing, you know, obviously, like I I I tip, uh, I tip w- well for sit down service, right? Like yeah. if I if I'm at a restaurant and I'm like, this is what's up, I I tip well. It's gotten out of hand though with like every business having a tip button on every I, oh. thing, dude. Oh my god! I, no, no, and and this is where I will agree with you too. Is fuck that shit, dude. You know what I mean? The dude who doesn't do anything like tipping is a service too, where the person isn't compensated. Like servers make four dollars an hour in, in in Boston. Yeah, you understand what I'm saying? Like hourly. So the tipping is just you kind the of wage. measure that out. The yeah, it's it it factors into the the waves. I've seen people sometimes like put a tip jar for like you know. You getting paid twenty bucks, uh, eighteen dollars an hour to make my coffee. If you weren't super friendly and made my day better, then I'm not tip. Why? Why am I tipping you? you understand yeah, what and kind of like, like if I'm gonna sit down in the coffee shop, then I guess that's different too. But yesterday I was at a coffee shop and I I got my coffees. I tipped, I think, on that on the on the machine for that, and then I went. I was yeah. like, Shit, I forgot to get a bottle of water, so I went back and tipped. And they had like a they had like a one dollar button. And without even thinking, I hit the one dollar. So I'm like, I just tipped the guy a dollar for getting for grabbing a bottle of water out of the case for me. I yeah. was like, fuck. And that just got me because I didn't even like think about it. But I just think they're on everything. Like even stores that have nothing to do with food or service now have them on their on their things. And you're like, it's ridiculous. It's a money grab. First of all, tipping and tipping is something that you get rewarded for 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 doing exemplary service. It's not something you should expect. So the idea. Right now, if you have a really rude, shitty waiter and I, you know, and you leave him 18% or under 20%, I can respect you for that too. Like, I'm not going to be this one where like, just because you say hi to a table, you automatically deserve 20%. Um, That's another concept that I feel like people has gotten overblown. Like, make sure you tip your waiters all the time. It's like, what if the dude like was super rude and it took him four hours to get my drink, my drink, or he's texting on his phone. Clearly yeah. I can see him from across the fucking restaurant texting on his phone while I'm sitting here with a dirty table. That's a truly now American thing. Whereas like people just expect the money. They just expect it to come. Like they don't, yeah. they don't want to work for it there anymore. Needs, there needs to they be just a expect level it to of service show for sure. Of accountability. People, people love yeah. to talk about this too. Like it's kind of similar with the, the thrift stores, value village and savers. And what is it? Salvation army asking for donations after your purchase. So you can like, you're like what? Yeah. Like, come when on. Like this- the money that I'm paying for the clothes is supposed to be what supports your programs. Why am I yeah. now having to give you more money to support your program? Because your, your whole, MO is the thing that I'm buying is supporting the program because you're a nonprofit organization. And where's it going? If I know exactly where it's going, Drew, I'm cool with it. If I don't, then, you know, yeah. I'm good. You know, the whole <laughs> idea too, and I, I thought I was against it, but I'm super into it of this whole like, you know, 2% of the tip goes to the, um, the kitchen. I'm fucking down, man. I see what these kitchen dudes do. I prep my own like, like stuff now for the bar every day. Like a lot of my days before shift is prep, like syrups and all that. I see how hard these kids work, 
and I see how much they make more than, you know, compared to some of these service people for these brat, not my service staff, but like these bratty kids, I want to be an actor. So I'm, I'm serving making, and I'm set, you know, I'm making a thousand dollars of a shift. Well, this dude who did most of the work to prepare the things that I'm selling yeah, is getting no, paid a quarter of that. I agree you know with what that mean? It's like hundred percent. It's, it's so insane. It's like these dudes are sweating, burning themselves, blah, blah, blah. And you're a fucking server that isn't even educated about the product yourself. You don't even know what Pinot Noir is. And I'm going to pay you a thousand bucks. And then I'm going to pay this guy friggin', you know, 200. Like it, there's a huge disparity there, dude. It's, you know, I don't, yeah. and that's coming from someone who was always at the front of the house. I've never really had a back of the house gig. So, I mean, someone's got to stand up for these dudes and realize how much work they're putting in behind the scenes to make this shit happen. You know, the dishwasher gets paid the least Dude, the one who has the hardest job gets paid the least amount of money for it. The one who has the easiest job. But it's but it, yeah, it's true. But I agree with it in a way of like climbing the ladder. See, it, that's another that's good cool. thing that's about cool. restaurants is that it it creates um, a clear a clear ladder structure of where you're going, your dishwasher, you're maybe a prep cook. Then you're like a line cook. Then you're like a mm. head chef maybe one day and you, you get like, it's like you can see that pathway, right? Mm-hmm. And you're working towards that where, well, first of all, most people don't have fucking patience anymore to do that. Right. Where like you got to work your way out. It's tough um, to find people now too. We can talk about that. After. So it's, uh, I just see, I see it as a very clear, uh, dynamic and it is a first good these are stepping stone jobs and you can you got to work your way up you got to put in the time you got to do good work um, yeah and a lot of a lot of different type businesses don't have that like retail you can you can to a degree like you're going to be uh, retail maybe you work up to like a merchandiser then you work up to like a manager so it has that too to a degree but um I think like there should there should there should be a split, but it also that ladder has to remain there because you gotta you gotta put in your yeah. Food, right? Oh no, I, I'm with that too. But I, you know, I nothing's worse than a 22 year old brat who's like whether it's a male or a female who's super attractive and thinks they're just going to come in here and make a thousand dollars a shift for doing nothing is is infuriating. Like yeah, it totally, boils totally. my blood when the dude who traveled from Guatemala you know, 3000 miles through the fucking desert is, is making a, like, like a, a 15th of what you're making. You know what I mean? And the unappreciative um, servers that like are dickheads to the dishwashers and, and this, in the back of house and you're like, come on, like you're, you're making all this cake and you're just being a dick. And, but that's the entitlement thing, dude, which a lot of people have. And it's like, I don't talk to privilege, like, you know, in a way a lot, but it is a privilege. Like you have an entitlement to think that you can, you're, you're above this person where you're not, dude. You know what I mean? If anything, their drive and perseverance is leaps and bounds ahead of yours. You know, you're mad that you didn't, you're not an artist out of college where you're bullshitting around going to clubs all the time. Well, this person worked relentlessly to support their family for the last five years. So you're the same age, but there's been a lot more, you know, a lot, a lot bigger disparity in who did what and who works harder. So, totally. um, I want, so talk, I want to talk, do my... talk, talk, talk about staff. Like, how do you guys, how do you guys go about getting good people at your spot? We were lucky. 
but um, a lot of our staff was curated basically over a long period of time. It's people that I've worked with in my past that, that knew we were opening the restaurant and wanted to be a part of it. So that was really cool. Front so have, and you had, back. have you had much turnover for the first year? Almost none. Almost none. No way. Which is spectacular. Yeah, in a way. But it's it's also though about creating like a um, like a community within the within the workspace too of the idea of like being respectful, them being compensated correctly for their work, um, and doing my best to promote the restaurant to put seats in the you know put people in the seats like that's our biggest goal right now and uh you know we had a really amazing first year so a lot of people stuck around and i hope that they continue to stick around but if opportunities come where life change you know we have people too that this is their second job you know one a couple of these kids are like real estate people too so this is great for them because they basically they can do all their showings at night they can work at the i mean on the day they can do all their restaurant stuff at night they become a full-time real estate person and make a ton of money doing that. And that's their, what they want to do with their life. You know, it's time. It's, it creates a problem because I have to scramble to find somebody new, but it's all about the right people. It's the right people. And yeah. you know this because you, your brand is predicated on it. If you have a shitty salesperson or a rude person, that's a reflection of you sometime. That's a reflection of you, no matter if you were there doing it or whatever. So being very cautious about who who you hire is an important thing for businesses. And that's where I'm seeing America specifically is struggling with this significantly. Like they have pe- I don't I want to go home and be an influencer instead of work here. It's like, okay, that's you know, that's a that's a noble profession, taking pictures of your feet for people. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even want to like <laughs> down that shit, but it's just, for me, it's not, I think it's, I don't, I don't, I don't know how sustainable it is over a long period of time. You know? Yeah, no, it's interesting, man. It all, it all plays in together why we are where we're at in society in, in North America, Yeah, you know, back to like you having, being able to go buy a meal for 50 bucks in Italy. And here we are inflation's out of control cost of living's nuts like you can't you know people are crying the blues about being able to find workers and yeah we definitely it's have a thing that's changed. issues here yeah. yeah that's that was the craziest part about italy drew is these people were my you know old, like mid-30s for it and they were career restaurant people like they enjoyed their jobs they went you know they were like they worked at a restaurant that was their gig restaurant wasn't a secondary thing to them it was their first, like their main source of income. So that's where, like, you know, got to I got to keep sweeping my floors. So hopefully there'll be more than one of these restaurants with with our names on it. You know, Hell yeah. on, you know, sooner than later. So so let's talk back to um, now that you've left uh, faded. You know, obviously you're still in the scene now. What's next for you as far as vintage clothing? Well, uh, you're going to see it. I hope this airs before it happens, but, uh, I just had a really good conversation with a very, uh, a person I respect a lot and, uh, I'm hoping to help them do what I can, you know, fit, fit my piece of the puzzle into them to help them expand their business a little bit further. So, uh, it's a, it's not a small convention, 
ah, that's that's your that's your hint, right, <laughs> right there. So, uh, it, but this is a person that I I respect a lot, and I uh, um, I want to see him succeed because every time that um, I've interacted with him in person or through any sort of medium, he is a very hardworking, driven dude. So, um, I'm really excited to hopefully see where I fit in with this. You know, um, I like being a free agent, Drew. It's exciting. I don't have to be super committed yet to anything. I can kind of, I can give my commentaries, my ideas, and then I can walk away and, and you know, yeah. move on to the next thing. It doesn't happen a lot in life where you sort of like, you know, end one thing and start a new thing. I mean, it happens, but it, it's quite freeing to be able to be like, ah, oh, I, I, I've relinquish that responsibility for such a big thing right yeah put it this way dude i can't walk away from this ever because vintage basically i it's just like such a fucking stupid thing to say but it's true saved my life in a lot of ways i was three years ago i was at the one of the darkest points in my life um with depression and stuff and i've where i am right now a lot of my relationship with chloe has is, is a huge catalyst for this too. But where I am right now, vintage was a pivotal part of like helping my mental health, making me feel part of something. And I, I couldn't turn my back on that. If I tried, I'll always love secondhand clothing and I'll, the people that I met in this scene, I consider friends and people that I would, I want to keep in contact with as long as I possibly can. So I'm not, I can't, you know, just because you don't see me on the faded shows anymore. doesn't mean I, I, it was cool. A lot of people reached out to me and were like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I, I responded to most of them. I'm still around, man. So, you know, DM still open, dude. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, if anything, I'm channeling was there, an, was there an announcement made through the lives that you're not going to be on there anymore or anything like that? The saddest part is I don't think so. I think I made an announcement and I was, I, I like had the DM, my inbox was like insane. I was like, Long holy back, shit, yeah. Chloe, look at the, I'm like, look at this shit. Um, so I tried my best to respond to everybody that, that said, you know, their piece to me or whatever. Um, but no, I don't think so. That was, yeah. it, you know, it's, hey, man, you know, you, you live, you learn, you figure out what works for you. And um, there's a lot of things that I think this, I want to see the scene grow, Drew, and we're going to, it, it is. And I want to be, I want to fit sure. where I can fit to be a catalyst for that growing in the future. Awesome. That's my main goal uh, in life. Well, I think we're going to end it there, my man. Thank you for coming on again. And thank you for sort of so many things. Story. Oh, yeah. dude, it's amazing. Thank you for having yeah. me back. Uh, like I said, I could we could talk till blue in the face, but you got a you got a new shop to build, brother. I'm about so to go, I gotta, dude. I, gotta I got my Carhartts on. I'm going building right now. I got my overalls. And, I want to uh, thank yeah. you too, Drew, for through all that for ha taking the time this time to to chat too, man. I know you're of course, man. Dude, no, so. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, thanks. yeah, thanks for sharing the story. I love talking shop. I uh, wish you all the best in the future. I'm excited for when you make some announcements of your next next steps here. You know, we're going. a little off camera, and I'm excited for you. Um, I'm also a big fan of who you're speaking of, so we'll see <laughs> what happens. Fun. Yeah, it should be fun. We'll <laughs> okay. see you soon, man. All right. Thanks, brother. Okay, guys. Over and out. Thank you for tuning in. 
Um, and again, if you want to 100 times your money, go jump on the podcast Patreon and uh, you will, with the knowledge, you will acquire 100x your $5 investment guaranteed. Or I'll give you your five bucks back. You can cancel your five bucks. So uh, yeah, there you have it. The Drew Heifetz, 100 times your money guarantee. Let's go, baby. Jump on there. And uh, Joe, thanks for coming on. See you guys all in the next one. Stoked. Lots of great guests coming out. I'm opening a store right now, guys. It's taken up a lot of energy. So, uh, you know, been a bit slower than normal. But I will be back. Amy's going to jump on here for some business chats. I'll be back soon enough with lots of guests once the store's open. And uh, tell you all about how we did it. Maybe I'll get Jesse on an episode, actually. I'll get Jesse on an episode. He's going to be here this week. So maybe he'll be the next guest. And uh, lots more stuff coming. And uh, thank you all. Appreciate you. Love you.